0: Um, and, uh, and I want to commend to you for, commend you for having completed this interim time. Interim times are great opportunities, uh, as well as uh, times of stress and challenge for a church. And, and uh, your new pastor was uh, approved just this past week. And uh, speaking of giving a hand, uh, your uh, faithful and diligent servant, Steve Wiedenmuller, uh, it's deserving of more gratitude than we can than you can express. <clears throat> um, I'm delighted to call him a friend as well as a former student. You're repressing uh, st- preaching class, as yes, <laughs> as uh, but he is an excellent preacher as well, and um, it would have been. Uh, even better to have heard from him this morning, I'm sure. Well, our text for this morning is First Corinthians 12, and it's a fairly long chapter, and so while I n- normally don't do this, I'm going to do the reading as we go through it. <clears throat> uh, I'm not sure if your uh, endurance in reading long, long scripture passages is is there, many churches. Um, it's uh, unusual uh, so I'll do just as well uh, uh, to, to save the reading until we um, enter it but I will say that uh, what I will offer you this morning in my view and my belief um, fairly represents what this the big picture you know sometimes it's better to fly over at 25,000 feet instead of just at you know 5,000 feet and so um, that's a bit of what we'll be doing today uh, because I'm most interested in how this chapter from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth applies to us, practically speaking, especially as you enter into a, a new chapter in the life of University Presbyterian Church. So if you will, let's ask God the Spirit to um, illumine us and, 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 and animate us and, and uh, motivate us as we come to hear what God has to say to us this morning. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in Your law. Quicken our hearts so that we might believe these words, that find them trustworthy, and uh, help us, Lord, not to be just hearers of this word, but doers as well. And we pray this in Christ's name, Amen. <clears throat> um, I'm not a lawyer, and I've never played one on television, but, um, but. Occasionally, I hear, and I'm sure you have too, reference in the news uh, to the writ of habeas corpus. It's a, it's a right guaranteed enshrined in the Constitution, and the, the phrase habeas corpus literally means show me the body. And um, what, it, what it provides is that when a, a counsel or a friend of somebody who's been incarcerated appeals to the court to say, show me the body that a person must be brought forward and presented for due process. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the right that keeps us, from, uh, the authorities, from being able to lock up somebody indefinitely without the right of a trial or a bail hearing and so forth. So the, the point is, if, if somebody is incarcerated, their body has to be produced. Their body has to be shown under the rights given us in the Constitution. Now, when it comes to the body of Christ, I want us to think this morning about the question, where is the body? Uh, The eternal Son of God, second person of the Godhead, took to himself a human nature in the incarnation, the man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, not uh, mingled in natures, but eternally and inseparably, uh, bound together. And Christ was bodily raised from the dead. He wasn't just a ghost. He wasn't just seeming to be Christ, but rather those who touched him and talked to him uh, testified that he was raised bodily. And when he was ascended on high, as we read about in the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, he was raised into heaven, exalted into heaven bodily, so that as Ephesians 2 tells us and Colossians 3, that Uh, Christ is at the right hand of the Father and He's there, body and soul. That His body and soul, that were uh, the creation of God and the human Christ, uh, did not cease to be, but rather He is at the right hand in His glorified state. Yet, the chapter we're going to look at this morning tells us that we are the body of Christ, the church is the body of christ so uh how is it that christ is both in heaven and also his church is his body that's the question i would like us to explore this morning and what we'll see once we've gone through it to see we'll see that christ actually offers himself through the church as his body not simply to ourselves But rather, he also offers himself to the world in his body, the church. That this is more than a mere figure of speech. So if we want Christ, if we want Christ, we will come to where he offers himself, which is in his body, you, the church. So let's look at this together. I want, first of all, to point out in the first 11 verses that Christ has a single mind, that Christ has a single mind. Uh, if, you, if you begin looking in uh, uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul begins, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't, do not want you to be uninformed. <clears throat> now there's a little irony being set up here. I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So, here's a bit of an irony here. They had worshipped the gods of the city, the gods of Corinth, who, uh, as Psalm 115 tells us, they're like all the gods of the nations. They have mouths but don't speak. And yet, uh, those who had come from the worship of idols to worship the living God, they previously had been led by unspeaking gods. You see the, the irony, almost sarcasm, dripping here. You were led. You followed gods who didn't speak. Uh, therefore, I want you to understand no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, um, that last statement, this doesn't mean that just because somebody says, Jesus is Lord, means uh, that they are uh, saying so by the Spirit of God. what what Paul is saying here, if you say Jesus is Lord, then you must be led by a different voice, which is the Spirit of God. In other words, if you are a Christian, you have agreed by the very nature of the matter to be led by God, as opposed to the mute idols which once led you. Now, you have to appreciate what's going on here in Corinth. In the mystery religions of Corinth, um, uh, worshipers would get worked up emotionally, ecstatically, and people would start popping off words from the gods, oracles. And so the most spiritual person was the one who could stand up and say, God has said to me, whichever God it was. In fact, if you go on reading in 1 Corinthians 14, you see this is a problem, that there's disorder in the church because they brought their religious practice from, from mystery religions into the church. And so the most spiritual people were the ones who had prophecies and, and tongues and, 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 and who could say, I know what God thinks. I know what God wants us to do. And, and, and this confusion is what Paul is addressing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says now in verse 14, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And their varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Now this is a thinly veiled reference to the Trinity. Spirit, Lord, the Son, God, the Father, to each is given, he goes on, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish spirits from one another, various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these, verse 11, are empowered by one and the same Spirit. See, there is one mind of God the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, three persons, but one God has one mind. Now, I'm not going to go into all these gifts. Uh, We're flying at a higher altitude this morning, and plus, uh, I'm sure I wouldn't answer this question to everyone's satisfaction, all these different gifts. But the point is this, Christ has a single mind. So, when all the people in the church are all saying, I know the mind of God, it can't possibly be that Christ is the one leading them. In other words, division among the people of God about what God thinks is a sign that Christ isn't really being Lord. There is a divine mind, a single divine mind, and therefore there is to be a single divine order in the church. Now, this doesn't mean uniformity. That's one wonderful thing about uh, the church, and it's reflected here in the gifts described, that the church is variegated, it's multiform, but yet it's one. But it's one because of this single divine mind that has a single divine order for his people. In uh, Years ago, I, I'm sure I wasn't alive. But or at least watching it when it came out. In 1964, Stanley Kubrick's famous Cold War movie came out, Dr. Strangelove. Anybody familiar? You should study that in a film class if in no other place. Uh, Peter Sellers plays about five or six different roles. He's brilliant. Uh, Slim Pickens has a particularly hilarious role. It's, a, it's an ironic, it's a, it's, a, it's a satire on the, on the Cold War. And... Uh, one of the characters Peter Sellers plays is this, this uh, uh, German physicist who perhaps was a Nazi uh, World War II physicist who's now come to help the American nuclear program. A little closer to the truth than, uh, than we might um, uh, mistakenly uh, overlook. But um, uh, this, this, this nuclear scientist, this mad scientist, um, he, he's, uh, he's got something that actually exists. It's called alien hand syndrome. And alien hand syndrome, it's a real thing where because of a stroke or a neurological disorder or different kinds of things that certain members of the body start to act on their own. And for Dr. Strangelife, every once in a while, his left hand reaches up and grabs him by the throat and starts to strangle him. And his other hand has to beat off the, the hand that's strangling him. You see, he's, he's at war within his members. <laughs> he's attacking himself. Even though he has one brain, not all of his organs and members are functioning together. You see, this is what Paul is portraying here. You, you, you don't have disorder among the people of God over whom Christ is Lord if we actually are listening to Christ. And there, there are ways in which... Uh, we are to listen to Christ and His church. I mean, the first way is obviously the God's Word. We believe that God has spoken and continues to speak by His Spirit in His Word. If Christians want to know what to believe and what to do, they go to the Bible. We are a people of the book. But we also know that that single mind, or at least the Bible teaches us, that that single mind through God's revealed will comes through certain, the exercise of certain gifts. Uh, you see here, there are the utterance of knowledge and um, uh, the utterance of wisdom. And, and later on in the chapter, uh, that God has appointed first apostles, prophets, teachers, and so forth. In fact, Ephesians 4, which we read as part of our worship today, actually does not describe the gifts given to the body gener- generally. 1 Corinthians 12 does, Romans 12 does. Uh, 1 Peter 4, but the gifts in Ephesians 4 are those gifts that lead the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, that there are those who are called and set apart by God to make known the Word of God, not their own will. By the way, that's why the people who are responsible for putting people up here try very hard to do a good job. Amen, Steve. Brother Steve is going through these exams, um, and uh, your, your new pastor was examined this past week because it is a license to drive the school bus to say someone may speak for, for God from His Word. They have to have the character to not misinterpret or bend or twist or push their own agenda. And so, that, that's just, this is why you have a presbytery that's the regional church that uh, exercises a lot of attention and care to make sure that uh, nobody gets the keys to the school bus unless the children will be safe on the bus. And so uh, there is a single mind and a single order, and this is particularly important for us today. Uh, The church can err. There's no question in in fact our confession of faith says the church can err, (laughs) which is true from God's Word, right? Right? But, um, but we live in a time where a lot of people just go to what I would call the Church of the Dude. Which is a Big Lebowski reference. You don't have to look it up. It's just uh, the Big Lebowski was famous for saying, that's just your opinion, man. And this is a very common American Christian way of looking at things. I'll take the church's opinion under advisement, maybe. Maybe. But what I believe is totally and completely up to me because that's American. But it's not Christian. But this is good news. It's good news for us. Because we don't have to be ignorant. Like Paul said, I, I, we don't have to be uninformed. That it, it, God has made himself known in his word. The God who made us has revealed himself to us. And as, as, as Harvey reminded us, he loves his people. And he doesn't want them to be in the dark. So he speaks to us by his spirit. And so when chaos reigns in the church, I, the last few years, I, I can't tell you, I've talked to countless pastors who just, a lot of them are ready to throw in the towel. I had one tell me, he says, I think my people get their worldview from, and he named the, the particular cable news channel, he said, I think they get their worldview from there instead of the Bible. And no matter what I say, and no matter where I point it out in the Bible, people just believe what they believe and insist that they're faithful Christians. Can't be true. And we'll speak more about that in a moment. But the good news is this Christ doesn't hold back, hold us back from knowing him by the Spirit, the will of God made known for his church, the single mind of Christ the second thing I want us to see Christ has a single body Christ has a single body and that is his church that's seen in verses uh, 12 through uh, 20 Uh, Christ has a single body uh, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with Christ there's one body with many members many meaning many body parts Uh, there's there's one body Um, elsewhere uh, in Ephesians and Colossians uh, Paul speaks of Christ as the head of the church but here interestingly when he's talking about the body he doesn't because he don't doesn't want us to be confused that we are separate from the head as members he wants us in this case to understand that the church is the whole Christ there's a single body. Uh, this is the big miss that they, they, were, they, were, they were committing, that the church is one body and the, is the body of Christ. Now, I want to be clear um, be, be, as we proceed with this, because this is probably a new thing for many of you to hear. Um, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. He's the Son of God without the incarnation. Christ did not have to become human in order to be the Son of God as uh, one person of the Godhead. Secondly, Christ is the Son incarnate without the church. Jesus didn't need the church to be God incarnate. So, those are important qualifiers. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, and Paul's going on, Paul believes and teaches those things. But nevertheless, here he's saying, Christ and the church are the whole body of Christ. So, the body does not consist of one member's, verse 14, but many. And he goes into this thing, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, and um, and the ear should say, I'm not an eye, therefore I don't belong to the body, Um, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? See, all the body parts are important to make up the body, but they're all still part of the body. Verse 18, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. You see, there's that divine order, that divine mind again. Verse 19, Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the body spoken here is the body of Christ in the proper sense. Now, I watch crime dramas. Uh, my wife would tell you readily if, if I had chosen another career, I might have chosen law enforcement. I like to go on ride-alongs and uh, uh, watch cops for many, many, many years looking for relatives um but um but one thing i've learned is that you know if if the police if there's a crime but the but the police can't find a body it's a very big problem it's hard to prove a murder for example if there's no body but look for us as christians the crime the crime is conceiving of the christian life apart from the body The crime is not seeing the Christian life as inseparably connected to the church. It's sort of like what Ryan Sandberg, the Hall of Fame uh, Cubs second baseman, said in his his Hall of Fame speech. When he he noted, at least at that time, the Chicago Cubs did not have the names on the back of their jerseys. He said, it's the name on the front that matters. This is what what Paul is saying here. Habeas corpus, where is the body? It's right here surrounding you. You're in it. You're part of it. Now, you might say it's just a metaphor, but here, never say it's just a metaphor when it comes to biblical metaphors, and especially never say it's just a metaphor when it's a metaphor about the nature of God in relation to his people, metaphors shape our normal daily existence, but how much so this biblical model for being the people of God? So, again, the incarnate Christ in his human nature, he's ascended the, the right hand, but Christ still has a body on earth, his people. Christ is present on earth as his church. The church is not an extension of the incarnation that's what the Roman Catholic application of this is the church is not an extension of the physical actual body of Christ but rather it is a body of Christ in a different sense but nevertheless a real sense that the church is the whole Christ as Augustine and others later put it so if you want to find Jesus where do you go You go to his church. Paul, in the very preceding chapter here, he's chastising the Corinthians for um, not properly understanding the bread at the Lord's Supper, but he uses the language of not discerning the body. And that language has a double meaning. It's not just understanding what the bread stands for, but the problem in chapter 11 is there are all these different social stresses in the church. Hungry people are coming to the Lord's table because they, they had, didn't have food at home and they're, and they're stuffing their faces. And rich people are coming to the Lord's Supper who feasted at home and now they're condemning, judging these, these poor hungry brothers and sisters. You see the body is fractured because of different social strata. And Paul says, you don't get it, do you? This all goes back to chapter 1, and everything in 1 Corinthians is being worked out of chapter 1. Among things which Paul said there was, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? And the rest of 1 Corinthians is answering that question, no, Christ is not divided. Now, if you were driving down, this is not Dean. I, I always try to turn on Dean coming east. This is Rouse, if you were driving down Rouse and you saw a body part laying on the side of the road, you might call 911 Uh, because it's unnatural. It's unnatural for a body part to be found by itself. It is just as unnatural for a Christian to be found outside the church. Now, we're not speaking here of people who live in places where there is no church. Uh, and praise God there are faithful missionaries and others who go to places to try to establish churches. Uh, there are there are people on earth who Christians on earth who desperately desperately would love to have a group with which to gather, a body of Christ with which to gather. It's either illegal or there's no there's no church among them and yet here here in, in our context it's like driving past smorgasbord after smorgasbord after smorgasbord after smorgasbord we there are more churches than there are darden franchises and yet many people many Christians think that the christian life does not necessarily require the presence of the church it's criminal statistics um, about five years ago there was a major study it was a Pew study um, on uh, how many people described themselves as spiritual but not religious meaning they viewed themselves as spiritual but they did not see connection to any organized religion as important that percentage was 27% now um, it was up significantly from 5 years earlier here but here's the thing while 24% of the people surveyed described themselves as religiously unaffiliated 24% 38% among 18 to 20 year olds we are in the midst of what many have t- called attention to as the de-churching of america The great dechurching, and the, and the, and this dechurching has accelerated through pandemic. Pandemic didn't do anything that wasn't already happening; it just put it on hyperdrive. This survey I mentioned: one percent of teenagers raised by non-religious parents were highly religious by their late twenties. One percent. 82% of those whose parents were active in their congregations were religious in their late 20s. There's going to be a book coming out uh, next summer that's going to update some of this information and put forward some causes on the great de-churching of America. But we've been doing this for 75 years, even among us Bible-believing evangelical Christians by making the church a non-essential part of the Christian life but Christ says it's his body and the church since the early centuries believed that no one has God as his father without the church as his mother and yet church somehow has become optional even though the Bible says the church is Christ's body parents Here's your almost 100% guaranteed formula for raising a non-Christian. 100% guaranteed formula for raising a non-Christian. I'll give you a refund if it turns out not to be true for you. 100% guaranteed formula for raising a non-Christian. Let your children think that church is not important by your behavior, your patterns, your consistency and your commitment. That doesn't mean the church is trying to suck everybody's time as much as possible but it must mean that the body of Christ is at the heart of our discipleship. I was raised, uh, thank- thankfully, by Christian parents who went to church regularly, whose hearts were in the church when I was a fraternity member my sophomore year campus crusade came into my fraternity house and gave me a real spiritual boost and the man who discipled me walked by my front door every sunday and we walked to church together because thank god i was discipled by somebody who understood that if i was going to remain a christian that life beyond college beyond his relationship with me was going to be a life rooted in the church of christ If we want to disciple people toward Christ, we must disciple them toward his body, the church. But let me just give you some good news before we move on. Christ gives himself to us, not just through us, but as the church. When you are part of the body of Christ, you are receiving from Christ the benefits which he has won for you. The fellowship, the acceptance, the affirmation, uh, the, the cure for loneliness, if you're visiting here, if you're, if you're seeking here this morning, look, here's Jesus for you. He offers himself to you in those gathered here this morning. But also the good news is this, how does Christ offer himself to the world? See, we, we're, we, we're not just the body of Christ to enjoy Christ, but we're the body of Christ to manifest Christ, to offer to the world all that Christ has done for us. Okay, so single mind, a single body, and the last thing I want us to see is there is a single purpose, a single purpose. And this is in verses 21 through the rest of the chapter, a single purpose. What is that single purpose? And I'm going to say this, and I really don't like using the word radical, because radical, it's like saying literally to mean not literal. Uh, radical is way overused, and I tried my best not to use it, and uh, the world has not yet acknowledged my uh, corrective of the overuse of the word radical. But I hold out uh, for, uh, for, uh, for it anyway. Uh, I don't like the word radical because it's way overused, but I'm going to say it because it's appropriate here. Christ has a single purpose, and that single purpose is this. It's a radical new social order, a radical new social order. Look at verses 21 and following. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. In other words, the Christian who relativizes his or her need for the church is wrong, On the contrary, and this is all in verses 22 and 23, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty." Now, I, I, I know many of you here, I know many of you that run businesses, and you know we all know Jim Collins, good to great, and you got to get the right people on the bus, which also means getting the right people off the bus. But that is not the order of God's people. Who is the most necessary member of this church this morning? I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but I'm going to tell you what 1 Corinthians 12 says. The most essential, I, I was, um, I'm a recovering CPA, and, uh, and I, I had a very large multi-bank holding company client. And uh, my, my, my manager said, uh, they were having their annual board meeting, and we were going to go make our report uh, on the audit. And uh, uh, my manager said, now if you go down to the St. Louis airport today, you're going to see all these planes coming in. Because they don't let any board member fly with another board member. Because they're all job critical, right? And, 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 and companies have these policies. They don't let, you know, their... their um... Now, at RTS, we put everybody on the bus. <laughs> we go places in the, in the van. We don't, like, there's, there's no rule like that with us. When we think of the, the, the essential personnel in the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 21, 22 says, the essential personnel in the church are the weakest members. That's confusing. It that goes contrary to our way of doing things out there, right? And we have our ways of doing things out there. We have to have, the world has its ways of doing things but it's not that way. What's the verse 23? And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we show, we bestow the greater honor. Those who have the most shame on the world's measures are the people to be honored and lifted up within the church. Notice it says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, that's from a human perspective, and notice in verse 23, those parts of the body we think less. Of. Again, from a human perspective. Jesus is a radical, new, alternative social order. How is that so? Well, I said already, everything in 1 Corinthians is coming out of chapter 1. And Paul began there by talking about the folly, the folly of the cross. The folly of the cross. New Testament theologian John Barclay has a fine article on this. He says, the wisdom of the cross is not just an alternative wisdom, it's even anti-wisdom. He says, God's election does not simply bypass the wise and the powerful. It shames them by an act that confounds the normal ranking of status or honor. In the greco roman world, physical strength Wealth, status, all those things are what matter. Not like our world today. Pause. Right. And how did God break into human history? How God did put on display the nature of His new creation? The divine Son was raised to a cross. No one goes to the cross if they are an actual citizen. It's only for slaves and the, gro- the worst seditionists. To be raised up on a cross meant this person does not exist as a human being. To be spread helpless in a world where strength, physique, mattered most. To be naked, exposed, elevated for everyone to see. And what God was doing there was shaming the wise, shaming The powers, saying the way the world works is doomed. The way the world works that values wealth and power and prestige and physical appearance and all the things that people still today look upon is not just contrary to God's ways, but God is undoing them in Christ. And He wanted a community. To reflect his new way of doing things. If you've ever looked at a Picasso portrait, um, they look like badly made Mr. Potato Heads. Uh, Picasso Picasso actually had a condition um, called prosopagnosia, face blindness. It's an actual condition, and he started painting portraits in order to um, help him remember faces. But the reason his cubism, which is where he eventually went to, the reason, the reason his cub, cubism looks so weird, he's trying to portray three-dimensional objects on a, on a flat surface, on two dimensions. You see, you can't put on display a three-dimensional object truly and fully in two dimensions. And so, Christ doesn't stay on the surface on the pages of a book, but rather he manifests himself in a living, breathing, three-dimensional people of God. A lot of people listen to stateless preachers who have no churches, basically. They're more influenced by things they read and hear online. You've got pastors you can smell You've got brothers and sisters you can smell, and you can hold, and you can touch. And it's in this way that Christ offers his body to you, and through you, offers himself to the world. Single mind, a single body, and a radical social order that's a single purpose to put on display. What God has done, John Barclay, the theologian I mentioned earlier, said this, that the gospel, the gospel is rendered powerless when it becomes reputable.